Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. It is Wednesday night. This is the Independence Gang's Patriots Roundtable. I'm your host, JV, along with co-host Britt Griffith. We are excited tonight because not only, do, not only do we have one terrific guest tonight, we actually have two terrific guests tonight. Later in the program, we'll be speaking with Cash Patel. He, of course, is the former chief of staff for the Department of Defense. He's worked for several presidents, including Trump, including Obama. Britt, did he work? I'm trying to remember. Was Did he work for... Uh, George W. Bush prior to that, I think, can't remember what he... I don't think so. I think yeah. he, he it was Obama and Obama and Trump. And Trump. H- held uh, many roles throughout those administrations, including a lot of time in the intelligence communities. But then again, uh, he kind of wound up his career uh, in the waning days of the Trump administration as the chief of staff for the Department of Defense. And it's going to be a terrific conversation. But we've got a great conversation to start the night as well. Our first guest of the night is uh, Reverend Rick Cole. He's the senior pastor at the Capital Christian Center in Sacramento. And he's also the author of a book called Incarnate, Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken. And we welcome Rick to the program. Rick, thanks for coming on. Um, your story Absolutely. is a really fantastic a fascinating one. It's fantastic, in fact. Uh, the book itself is called Incarnate, Jesus Among the Broken. But the story how you wrote this book, how you got there, is the one that we really want to hear tonight. And it, it, it took quite a, I guess, a leap of faith on your part to do what you did. Yeah, I got started into this kind of accidentally, really. Homelessness has become a large problem in major cities around America and no less here. Our mayor at the time, Kevin Johnson, was trying to address this problem, and he invited two clergy members to a committee that was working on addressing homelessness. And so we had met, and he invited me to the table. We had started a shelter program where we organized 30 different churches that would take in homeless people at night. So each church would choose like a week at a time from November to March in the winter season, We would bus people from the downtown area. They would stage an area, about 100 to 150. Then a church would take them into a large room, have them just lay their sleeping bags down, feed them a nice hot meal, breakfast in the morning, and then bus them back downtown. It was safe for them at night during that winter season. We had done that for three or four years, and it was really a a wonderful experience, really, in a lot of ways. Then the funding dried up. The city was financing the buses and some security and the funding dried up. So the mayor asked, is there anything that we could do to raise some private funds, maybe through the faith community, whatever? So I met with our team, our staff at at the church I pastor and asked them if they had any ideas. What what can we do to raise the funds? It was a significant amount of money, about $300,000 for two years, 150 for the next two years each. 
So one of the guys just brought up the idea, what if you went and lived homeless among the homeless for a couple of weeks? And we do a social media campaign and say, if people would donate, we could get the preacher off the street and get him home. So <laughs> that was the idea. It wasn't like on my bucket list and it wasn't like a major plan that we ever had. It just came spontaneously. And that's actually what started the process for me to live among the homeless. I left my office with a sleeping bag and a backpack, went downtown and stayed there for two weeks. And that was an experience that really shaped me, I think, change some of my perspective on how I view the homeless situation. Yeah. And before we get into that part of it, because it, as you describe it, it was a life-changing two weeks. Talk a little bit more about the mechanics of it. Did you sleep in the, on a curb? On a, on a, I mean, yeah. it's warm in California for the most part, not like over here on the East Coast in New York City, where you have to sleep on the subway grates to get a little bit of warmth. Um, not that I've yeah. done that, by the way, um, but I just have yeah. seen people doing that. Uh, so, no, ex explain them the mechanics of it. I mean, how do you how do you survive like that? The first night, I wasn't sure where to go. So, there's a Union Gospel Mission that we've had some relationship with, and I, and there's about 50 homeless men that go there every night. So, I thought well, I'm going to try that the first night. It seemed like a safe place, and the only thing I did ahead of time, I called them because they know me and said, hey, I'm going to come, but treat me like you would any other homeless person. I want to experience it you know, as, as raw as possible. So they did that, gave me a bed there that night, and it was actually one of the more uncomfortable experiences because you lose your decision-making. Like you, you go to a chapel service, you go to a meal, you go to the showers. They require you to take a shower. They give you issued pajamas from the location there in a bedroll. I found myself standing in the hallway with 50 naked men that I've never met before. That's <laughs> and, a little awkward. Yeah. You know, it was not a pleasant experience, but I guess, you know, this is what some of the guys do, you know, nightly. And then you're sleeping in a barracks with 50 guys and it was hard to sleep that night in the morning when I got my stuff back. I headed out and decided I'm not going back there and I'll find out where to go the next night. So found a place in the alley that uh, had a, a fence right behind an industrial building that was not in operation. It was vacant and it was obvious there'd been some people staying there and they weren't there at the time that, that we found it. And the other thing I did is take a couple of guys with me from the church where I'm at only at night. So I didn't want to be foolish and, you know, put myself in harm's way sure. without you know, necessity. And, and uh, so each night, two guys came and, and joined me. So there was a little bit of a protection of that sense. People don't usually bother a, a small group. You might be you know, troubled if you're by yourself. So even still, it was hard getting sleep through the night. But we laid sleeping bags down had a small tent, like a two-person tent that we put up. A lot of homeless people have those. And uh, laid on the concrete, you know, with a sleeping bag. And that was night two after doing the mission the first night. And then went back to that same location. We put our tent away behind a, a, a garbage bin, hoping it would be there when we got back there in that alley that night. And fortunately, nobody took that spot. 
so that was that was what I did every every night. Would wake up in the morning with the sun. Really, you know, as soon as the sun comes up, you kind of awake, and uh, that was the experience nightly. And then navigating through the daytime, I just went to try to see what do homeless people do. I, I'd sit with them, talk to them, find out where they go for food, find out where they go. I know every public restroom in downtown Sacramento after that experience. <laughs> So, you know, they led me to that, uh, to that opportunity. And, and that was the way it went. And one night in the middle of it, the mayor actually wanted to come out with me one night. It was, I thought, really special of him that he, he wanted to experience a little bit of this too. He kind of got me into it. So I think he felt sorry for me. So one night we went down to the river. There's a couple of rivers that come through Sacramento. And a lot of homeless people stay on the banks of the river downtown. So I thought, let's try that. I tried to do different things to see, you know, where do people go and what's it like? So we found a spot on the, the bank of a river looking right back into downtown Sacramento. And again, a couple other guys joined me and the mayor. But having conversation that night was quite remarkable, too. Just talking about the concern, his concern for the city. You know, the challenge of trying to figure out how to help people that are really kind of hard to help. So that was the experience. You know, part of that was special having him join one night. And the rest of it was really finding a place of concrete in an alley somewhere where you wouldn't be bothered. Yeah, a, a couple uh, quick questions here that don't require too deep of an answer. But one, you mentioned that you had a couple of guys with you at night for, you know, just for the security of numbers, which I completely understand. But did any at any point, did you feel threatened? Did you feel afraid for your life at any point during those two weeks? And um, secondly, did any of the people on the street them, it's themselves recognize you or know who you were? couple interesting questions. I never felt like I was in jeopardy, but there were several nights that you hear people walking by. First night, one person walking by sees that we're there and says, hey, you guys got any pot? And you're looking for you know, some help. So you get startled. Like that was a feeling I had was more like, oh, that startled me. You wake up and it's hard to go back to sleep. So you don't get good sleep, but they didn't come at us in a threatening way. Yeah, And I think because there was a couple of guys with me, it calmed me down. So I wouldn't want to be there by myself. I think I would have felt a lot more, uh, you know, in danger if I was by myself. At the same time, I found like it's a community of people among the homeless. For the most part, they kind of look after one another. You're always going to find there's some sketchy person that might, you know, cause some trouble. So you know, I, I never felt personally at at great risk at the same time you feel startled lots of the time you know through the night yeah i can't imagine uh, you'd sleep i can't imagine you'd sleep very well and uh, just quickly uh because i see that our time is going rather rather quickly as well um did anybody on the street recognize you or know why you were there or were you able to remain anonymous throughout that i stayed pretty well anonymous i dressed down you know old clothes let my beard grow a little bit and look a little scruffy with a hat and a backpack. So nobody actually encountered me and knew me. And I was trying to kind of keep it that way. And I actually didn't identify myself to them. Yeah. When I asked, you know, what happened to them, they'd tell me their story. They'd sometimes ask me, you know, how'd you get here? And I'm like, oh, just 
things happen, you know, and just a couple nights ago, I ended up down here and I didn't try to explain why I was there and not even really, wasn't like a proselytizing moment. I wanted to experience what they were experiencing in in the best way that I could. So as you were doing that, uh, from in that two-week period, you went down there. We all have some, I guess we would call them preconceived notions, ideas of what this community is about, why they're there, why they haven't been able to get out of those circumstances. You know, we all have those ideas in our head. Based on what I know of your story, you went with some of those ideas and you left with a completely different set of ideas. What did you yeah. learn? I remember thinking those people got themselves in their problem. Why don't they get themselves out and get a job? You know, if you don't work, you don't eat and that kind of thing. They're living off my taxes. That kind of is annoying. So those were my thoughts that I'd had. And now I'm sitting with people hearing their story and experiencing the weariness of a short period of time where I'm not getting good sleep. I can feel the energy draining from me and even your willpower. I can start to see how men, they don't have it in them anymore. And that for them to say, hey, I'll get out of my problem, they don't even have the capacity. And there's layers of homelessness. The mentally ill, that's probably the face of homelessness we see. Then there's people with drug addiction problems and alcohol, and they probably burnt the bridges with their family and nowhere to go anymore. And they find themselves there. If they could get some rehab, they could get back on their feet. And there's some people that just, you know, paycheck to paycheck and something happened and they didn't have a network around them and end up on the street, probably more temporary and more able to get from point A to point B. So the thing that happened to me is I began to see the individuals that I really dismissed as still having value. And that's what surprised me. Like I'm looking in their eyes and sometimes there's, you know, a lot of emptiness there. But I could still see, you know what? They're just a human. And if it, I could have gone down this path somehow, if you know things would have broke different for me, I started to feel like that could be me. And it began to change me to where I felt compassion for them. And I didn't ever feel like, you know, I can't fix all these problems. But the fact that I started to care about them as a human, as a soul <laughs> that had value, it's helped me, I think, see a lot of people differently that I encounter that may not think the way I do or live the way I do, but they're, they're valuable. And I think I began to put that value into people that I had dismissed that from them. So we've now walked through how you got there and how it's kind of changed your mind. Do you have, now that you've interacted with them, I mean, you went through the boot camp is what it sounds like going through the mission, the boot camp yeah. lined up 50 guys deep, naked cots, you know, they tell you when to wake up, they tell you when to eat, and they tell you when to go go to sleep type of thing. Um, moving forward, are you working with the mayor of Sacramento? I'm assuming it's a new mayor now, maybe. Did something change yeah. there? But is, yeah. is there a plan forward that might be a little different than what we are doing currently that is absolutely not working? This is what I see now, and I continue working with our community leaders. Right now, I'm in conversation with our county supervisors. They have a lot of money. The, the government has fueled a lot of money to help homelessness and our city and county right now are flush with money to address this problem. And the more they put into it, it seems the worse it gets. So what I feel like is necessary is that the government with the money needs to partner with nonprofits and people who are caring for the individuals and find partnerships. 
sometimes those partnerships are hard to find. So this is where right now our county leaders were talking to about if we could do a homeless camp right here, we have property where we are about four acres that's not developed. We're talking about putting a tiny home village there. And we're asking if they could help fund it. We've got people that'll come alongside and walk with the people that come in that village and we'll help them get job training. We'll help them get from where they are to self-sustaining situations. So I think that's part of the answer. The money is good, but it has to come along with people who can walk with those people that the money is addressing. Okay, so um, as I've said on the show many times, I work in downtown LA and I work amongst the homeless on these buildings I work on. I've actually yeah. hired them to do a little, you know, help clean up the site, whatever Amazing. I need. You know, mostly if, if, I, if I make a friend with them, then I know my stuff's getting watched, uh, my truck mm -hmm. while I'm working, because I've had tools stolen right off my truck while I'm there. I have no, when I've talked to them and I've gone deep with some of them, they don't, want to conform to the rules of yeah. the missions of the beds of the whether it's whether it's private government or religious they just they want to be able to do their thing leave when they want come when they want drink their alcohol do that whatever they want to do how do we we as a society because we all have rights be able to walk down the street and not be accosted yeah. and not step in human feces and not have to step you know we have rights they have rights how do we merge this how do we the ones that are and in a sense, want to be there. How do we get them to transition to some kind of housing? They don't want it. They straight up say they don't yeah. want it because of the rules. What do we do there? Have you got, have you brainstormed that with anybody that experts? Yeah. I, one of the things I think too, we should do is find out pockets of success. There are some towns that have had some programs that have been profitable we're learning about that and trying to learn so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. What can we learn from someone that's been successful and then see if we can replicate that? We should be cross-pollinating. We should be learning from each other. And I think some of it, like, we actually need potentially to enforce some of the rules. There are actually laws that are necessary to clean up the public square. And sometimes if people aren't willing, they may need to be forced into it. And there's a part of that that's still kind. If we can find the way to manage how to enforce some rules and, and make sure though that there's a place for them to go. That's part of the thing now is we can enforce rules, but there's nowhere for many of them to go. We have to be able to synergize both efforts, have housing available, enforce some rules, and then have programs. It's complicated. Like, it, you know, I can talk, and it makes some sense to me, getting that actually done is really a massive challenge. <laughs> so one of the things I think too is, it, the problem seems so big, it feels paralyzing. One of the ways I'm yes. looking at it is, what can we do one piece at a time, one person at a time? Somebody told me the story of the starfish that are washed up on the beach. The guy's walking by and throwing one in the water and they're saying, man, there's so much, you're not gonna solve this problem. And he's like, well, I just solved it for that one. And that's to me a little bit of how to look at it. What can I do with what's in front of me? How can I help the one? And then together, maybe we can get some synergy and some energy to see progress made. So instead of not doing anything, let's do what we can that's in front of us today. Rick, do you think this, this uh, problem requires a political solution, uh, a spiritual solution, 
um, maybe some type of uh, private charity solution, which in, in some cases that would be a spiritual solution as well. But can it be solved with politics, through politics? Not by itself, I don't believe. Like, uh, I actually appreciate the responsibility that our government leaders have. There are people, too, that are in a job trying to serve the general public. There's all, all kinds of corruption and problems with that. We know that. But there's some that are legitimately you know, doing their job trying to help. And politics, I think, is necessary. And the funding that comes through our tax structures and all of that, it's, it should be used for good causes. I think it's a part of the solution, but it isn't the entire solution. It won't be done by politics alone. We need to find the way to come together with nonprofits. And I don't think it's like the faith community solving this all by itself either. We need to learn how to appreciate each other. Sometimes I'm irritated by my faith community's voice that so demeans the public square that we're not appreciating each other. I'm trying to change the conversation in my own community to say, you know, my government leaders, they're, they're, they have a job. What can I do to help them? I don't want to speak against them. I want to come alongside and work with them. So I think it's it's on all sides. We need to stop talking against each other and try to uplift one another and see if we can't find a path. There's so much division right now. Politics are so dividing. Yeah. COVID is so dividing. Everything just feels like it's broke. How can we come together? That's so hard to do, but that's what's on my heart to do. Rick, we've seen this problem exist, you know, for for the decades that I've been alive. I've this has been an issue. It's not a new problem. Uh, you know, the, the kind of ebbs and flows, but we seem to see have seen a, a bit of an explosion in the number of people and these and the size of these homeless camps. Again, I don't experience it where I am. I just see news reports of yeah. of whether it's uh, in Seattle next to a, a school, there's a big controversy about that, or it's on the beach in, in LA or wherever it happens to be. Do you think because it's being tolerated a little bit, I guess, yeah. that it's inviting more of this? I mean, is that part of the problem? Very well, could be. I'm seeing that in my town with the tents on sidewalks and, you know, the spread of the evidence of homelessness right in our face in places that it never existed before. Where our, our church building is right on a freeway, there's an overpass and there's a row of tents lined up under that overpass just about 200 yards from where I'm sitting talking to you right now. And I drive by them every day. So... We have people right now, even through our church, our men's group is taking bags of groceries to homeless camps that are near us and starting to have conversations just to try to, I love what uh, what you were saying earlier that you even hire some of the homeless people and do what you can. Like to me, that's it. We're trying to humanize this really difficult problem and let's engage people in some way and just see what we can do with the problem that's in front of us. I, the problem's getting worse, and I think my concern is growing, and my hope is that we can call out the goodness that's in all of us. It's in you guys. I can tell just by you know what you're saying and what you're talking about. There's a care in every one of us for someone else, and if we can stop talking down about it and talk, talking down about others, what can we do to 
come together. I still have hope. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy because it feels hopeless, but I do have a feeling of hope. No, we can do something. Let's let's um, you know put our shoulder to it, see what we could do. Rick, one of the things we're hearing in the news often, uh, seemingly every day, is that we have this labor shortage. We've got, I know uh, mm-hmm. my sister owns a couple of restaurants. She can't staff them fully. It seems to be a problem around the country. How do we, how do we reconcile this idea that there are jobs available, yet we can't get some of these folks who are living on the streets to take the jobs and make an improvement in their lives for themselves. Yeah. It seems one of the mantras that I hear among homeless providers, housing first is an important step. A a person is not going to have the wherewithal to go to work if they don't have a place to go to after work. And we need to find a place to provide the housing and then the structure that helps that person. They, They really need training. We have people that I'm connected with now that are saying to me, man, if we can you know, get some of the homeless people together, I've got job training I'll do and, and I'll hire them out of that you know, training opportunity. It's those kind of people we need to bring to the table. Housing is necessary. Once we get someone housed, then we can bring along the services to provide for them. So we've got to find these pathways. It's not going to happen by talking to them right from the tent that they're in and see them take the next step. It's it's a series of steps. I have one uh, one more question for you, and then I'll let Britt uh, take the next couple of minutes before we let you go here. Uh, we are seeing an unprecedented, at least I think, unprecedented uh, focus on racial divisions in this country. Uh, I think it's some type, somehow exaggerated in a way, but either way, it exists. It, what did you learn about race, if you did any learned anything at all, while you were on the streets for a couple of weeks? Is there a racial component to this? I saw all ethnicities really in the middle of this dilemma. I didn't see so much a racial conflict among homeless people. I do see the racial un- unrest in our community. And that's actually another passion of mine is what can we do to try to bring healing to the racial divide and find diversity you know, coming into unity. So we're actually working on that. It's actually part of my story. Uh, the book is written out of this story, Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken. Somebody said the word to me when I was trying to explain my story of what happened. They just said the word incarnate, that one word. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, that's what you did. You went and lived among people and incarnated like into their world. And I know that word from my like theology and seminary that, that talk about Jesus as God coming down into human form and call him incarnate one. Well, when he did that, he looked at me and didn't push me away. He said, let me take your burden and I'll help you out of it. And that's, I think, what transformed me in my thinking. The more I thought about how God treats me, he doesn't judge me. He's not putting me down. He's like, let me help you up. I thought, then what could I do to be more like him? How can I serve somebody instead of pushing them away and say, man, I'm judging you for your mess. What can I do to give you a hand up and help you? And I actually see the race issue similarly. I need to try to see the world through my black and brown brothers and sisters viewpoint and feel their pain. When I listen to them and hear their story and what life's been like for them, it's different than how it's been for me. I don't want to demean that and you know, think that, oh, come on, you know, we don't really have a race problem here. Well, 
for them, it's been a different journey than it has been for me. So I'm actually trying to put my homeless experience into play when it comes to my, my ethnic brothers and sisters and say, how can I view the world through how you live it, through how it's rolled out for you? And maybe that'll give me even a better appreciation for coming together there and trying to find a, a racial healing as well. And some of that story is also in the book. With all that mushed together, because nothing is ever simple in life, life yeah, is never sure. simple. Humans are not simple. We're all different in our own little ways. Doesn't matter the color of our skin or we're all different and we all have our, the, the paths that we have walked. And trying to get everybody kind of just going in the same direction. They might be in their own little yeah. lanes, little differences here and there, but just get us all going in the same direction. It feels like we've, from, on a spiritual level, we've lost that way. I personally yeah. was not raised in a God household. Not an, it wasn't anti-God. My mom grew yeah. up Catholic, K through 12, and the nuns beat religion right out of her. It wasn't anti-God, yeah. but I didn't get a lot of God. Yeah. And so I'm, I don't come at this as a, as a religious person, but I have seen over the last five years of working in LA amongst, and this problem grow and grow and grow, and I really believe we have one of two problems. We either are losing our religion and our souls, and we have no fair and just and quick justice happening. We have neither right yeah. now. So that's why we're seeing this carnage happen. And our country, with our freedoms the way they are, we, we have to have one or the other. We have to be very Judeo-Christian based morals, the Ten Commandments, all this stuff. Those are all good things. Yeah. Whether you're religious or not, those are all good things. Don't kill people. Don't steal. No, don't come with yeah. the neighbor's wife and stuff. Those are all good things. And we have no police because they're all backing off because of what the media is doing. I don't know how we fix all this because we're headed for a spot. So you're obviously a pastor, a reverend, and you're speaking to a lot mm -hmm. of people. When you look down the road of the future, what, what's your gut check? Where do you think we're going? How do you feel? I feel concerned, honestly, with where we are in our American climate and the divisiveness that exists. I'm experiencing it even in the faith community where people are not seeing things you know, similarly in the same path. My hope is that I, I'm concerned that the faith community, the people that do have a God consciousness and you're trying to moralize their, their way, can give more love out instead of more judgment. I, I feel like, honestly, I feel like part of the dilemma is that people in the faith community are um, creating an environment of, I don't know, of more division. And instead, let's come alongside and say, hey, we care about one another. We care about you. We care about each other. Let's come together. The, the, the faith community is pushing away from the, the, the society. It's pushing away from the government, you know, blaming the government for all the ills in the world. And who knows? You know, there's a lot of it there. But we're all people. <laughs> we're all just human beings. And I, my call is to the faith people that I'm speaking to is, hey, let's be more kind. Let's be more caring. Let's be more considerate. You know, let's not judge that everyone that doesn't think the way I do is the problem. So you just hit on something about we need to be more caring. We need to be more kind. There are mean people out there that say mean things. But what I, I think what some people are confusing being me, enforcing the rules Sometimes isn't having, um, uh, what was my grandma used to say? She would you step out of line, a little swift 
you know, swat on the tush or tough making love. me walk the hundred twelve love. Yeah. Little tough love. You know, um that's a good thing to some people, even if you are an adult and you're living under a bridge and you're rather I mean, yeah. are we gonna have to get a little more aggressive at corralling these people? Yeah. I don't want to say go back to the institution days, but some form of that where it's not jail, because yeah. we don't want them in jail, but we're gonna need to forcibly incarcerate them and then medicate them so they get their the people that are mentally ill yeah. or addicted. Rehab totally. or yeah. but our, apparently I, our constitution doesn't allow that. So how do we how do we bridge that? Have you have you is, are, those, yeah. are these conversations that are going on in the people that are supposed to be the experts on this? They are. And I think that there is a balance in there to you know some of the tough love is actually very caring and and very kind in its own right, in its own way. I think it depends on how it's administered. But that's part of the problem is that I think our constitution actually does give us the right to have rules and to have standards that people live by. And we should enforce some of those standards to help people get on the right path. So that it's hard to say it's one thing or another. To me, it's a combination of things. I think you, you have a, a really good point of view in what you're pointing out. You know, when I'm saying, I, I think part of my challenge is I'm living with people in the faith community that begin to become irritating to me by the constant complaining. And instead of that, you know, let's, let's come across and be more kind and considerate to people. Then there are some that are in the condition that you're talking about. They're, they're not going to take the help that we provide. They may need to be forced into a better situation for the good of the community, the good of all, and for their own good. So there's a point of that institutional help, the medication. Some people really do need medical help in order to get in their right mind. So all those things, I think, are a part of the equation and it's not a one thing or another solution. It's a it's a cocktail of solutions that really is necessary. Yeah, and Rick, without uh, without laws, rules, and standards, we don't have civilization. We have chaos. So we need right. I mean, those those need, and we've we've seen a little touch of that uh, in some of our cities across the country in the last uh, year and a half or so. We're we're basically yeah. out of time. I just want to ask you one final question here before we let you go. When someone reads the book. What do you hope they walk away with, Rick? Bottom line, my hope walking away from it is a greater appreciation for the value of every human soul. Even people that are not on the same path that I'm on, that I can still see value in them and not start out with a negative, but start out with, man, I care about you, who you are, and then see where we go from there. To me, I had a heart change where... I used to dismiss some people. Now I feel better in my heart, at least that I see their, their value. And then whatever comes in my path, I want to try to take a positive step toward them. Now, you have a website. It's, it's incarnatebook.com. And I know on that website, there are several links to purchase the book. Do you have any preference where people go to, to buy the book? Is there something that works better for you? No, no, it's all good. Incarnate.com can access it there. Amazon is, of course, another source easy to access the book on Amazon, but there's no really better path. Whatever works for each person is fine. Great. Um, Rick, 
Thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for your work, by the way. It takes a lot of courage to do what you did. And I'm not sure how many uh, sleepless, sleepless nights you had before you went on the streets, yeah. just working it through in your head how it was going to happen. But, um, you know, it's 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 really admirable of you to roll up your sleeves and, and get into the trenches almost literally and uh, try to try to find uh, some answers to this uh, problem that's plagued us for a long time. So thank you for that, and thank you for your time yeah. tonight. Thanks for having me. All right. So again, the website there is uh, incarnatebook.com. There are several links on that website that you can uh, click through to purchase the book. We've also put in the description of the program a link for folks to check it out as well. And uh, I mean, what an experience. Can you? Would you do that, Brent? Would you decide to take two weeks, maybe two days <laughs> and live on the streets like that? I don't know that I could do that. I was homeless for a while, JV. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I lived in my <laughs> I lived you? in my car for like six months. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, then yeah. you kind of transition, did it. trying to figure out my life, and yeah, I mean, it it, it it's a it's a chore. Now, I was blessed that I had strong family around me mm -hmm. that helped, but mm -hmm. um, I also lived on the side of a mountain for two years in a row, gold mining in a tent with mountain lions walking by. So I yeah, roughed it. I, get I know the you roughing. did that. That was that's a little different yeah. than being homeless, but it is roughing yeah. it. Roughing but, uh, it and being homeless, I think, are yeah. kind of two different things, even though one is part of the other. But wow. Um yeah. it's, so um, it's, it's a great yeah, story. So, it's a great story. And again, the book is called Incarnate Jesus Among the Broken. And uh the author was um, our guest tonight, Reverend Rick Cole. Yes. I also need to address uh two things in chat. Yes. One is to breaking the image. No, I'm not suggesting we throw the drug addicted in jail. The problem is they're going to jail now, but I'm looking, I, I'm something in between, between just being free and roaming the streets and jail. There's got to be something in the middle there. We used to have mental institutions, but those were so corrupt you're basically and what brutal you're talking, that we got basically, rid of them. Basically what you're talking about is a place, a safe place where they can receive the attention and help they need and medications they, they need. need. But they have to go there. It's not like it's not like a halfway house where they can come and go. It's a because there are people that I interact with almost on a daily basis that they the compassionate thing to do is put them in a place where they're going to get help and they can't leave until they get their meds right. Um, but then the problem is they think that they they leave, they think they're fine, they stop taking their meds, and it's yeah. this vicious cycle. So there's got to be something where the people that are the constantly revolving door people, there's got to be a place for them that we can corral them. Because they're making our lives, us people who live by the rules, don't have addictions, buy nice, you know, we work hard to buy our things. They're making, they're violating our rights for our pursuit of happiness. Their desire for their pursuit of happiness is affecting our pursuit of happiness. And that can't happen. Yeah. It's not how it's supposed to work. And, and they, so that's what I'm saying. There's got to be something in between. Well, it's beyond, um, it's beyond we my pay grade. That, I'll tell you that. Yeah. I, I don't know what the answers yeah. are. I think we've tried all all extremes yeah. and each one comes with its pitfalls and problems and the other thing is pastor pastor yeah you said pastor pastor <laughs> you said pastor didn't you <laughs> i call bs i think by tomorrow night's show we need to have a replay of the tape all right yeah that's fair enough we'll play it back but we'll see if you said pasture or pastor do prophetize in pastures so. sometimes yeah sometimes they do hey by the way the I'm second the second part of tonight's program is also very exciting uh cash patel who has been um i think he said 17 years in the political world yes. uh he he hasn't i don't think he's ever run for office but he has been employed by a lot of uh politicians in various roles been in the federal government most recently he served as the chief of staff for the department of defense 
this we we had this discussion with him was it yesterday afternoon i'm trying to remember when we had this yesterday whatever it was yesterday, it was yesterday. right yeah so we pre-recorded yeah. this but it is a fantastic interview and that's going to finish out our program uh we will come back after this interview and and talk about it a little bit because it's such a great uh, it's just it's a great discussion so uh for this this lasts about 26 minutes so enjoy this discussion with cash Patel. We have a very special guest for you tonight. We've been excited about this one for a while, Britt. Cash Patel, he's the former chief of staff for the Department of Defense. He's uh, worn many hats, filled many roles. He's a frequent guest on Fox News. Uh, in fact, I think he was recently on Gutfeld, which I have to ask him about. Cash, <laughs> I, that set looks like it's so much fun. Tell me how much fun it is to be on Gutfeld. Uh, you, you know, first of all, thanks for having me. This is great. I'm looking forward to our conversation, but yeah, I don't want to stroke Grutfeld's ego too much, but it is fun (laughs) because unlike all the other, all all the other TV and radio and media I do, and it's important to get the right messaging. All you do there is laugh for an hour and you talk about things that I like, I I think I talked about healthcare, which I don't even know what really (laughs) how that works. But the funny thing is you've got a good, good crew there of people, of rotating guests, and he has a great way of relaying a message to people that just normally is outside of the normal news group. And uh, mostly I get made fun of, too. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> well, did you yes. ever think that a yeah. that a political slash comedy show could take the number one spot in late night talk? I mean, I do. I wouldn't have predicted that. No, I think it's amazing. I think it speaks to. The fact that Greg is able to communicate actual issues that people care about, um, like we saw in Virginia and things like that, and make them relatable and make everything not so serious all the time, but a little bit of humor uh, translates to a lot bigger audience. And I think he's successful in doing that. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we've read in the news, heard in the news recently. Uh, Biden was recently at the G20. He also attended the climate summit in Glasgow, Scotland. Based on what you've seen over, what are we, 10 months in, basically, to the Biden administration's uh, uh, tenure, have you seen the Biden foreign policy actually achieve anything of consequence that benefits the American people? Well, I like starting here because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a national security guy. I was in government service for 16 years, worked for Obama, worked for Trump, you know, and three different attorneys generals when I was a federal prosecutor in the military as a civilian. It didn't matter. The national security mission mattered. And so this thing's um, pretty close to and near and dear to my heart. Look, Trump's foreign policy, just to go through it in 30 seconds, protect the southern border, prevent the inflow of narcotics and drugs and illegal aliens, uh, enforce and equip law enforcement to tackle and protect our legal system, uh, shut down the forever wars, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Somalia, wipe out terrorists, kill them, bring home American hostages, and take on Iran, China, and Russia. Pretty simple in terms of outlaying a foreign policy. He ran on that. It was no surprise. Let's go to Joe Biden. Joe Biden's premier foreign policy achievement, and you raised the G20, is to talk about the weather. And I say that in half jest, but I'm also yeah. kidding. I was the, you know, fortunate to be the chief of staff of the Department of Defense and lead our armed forces. And we issue these things called campaign plans, right? CAM plans. What does that mean? Simple. How does the Department of Defense and its 3 million employees take on Russia, China, Iran? How do we counter terrorism? Those are huge campaign plans that DOD issues. Do you know what the, the first major campaign plan for the Biden Department of Defense was, it was issued a couple of weeks ago. It was on climate change. I'm not kidding. The DOD is postured against the weather. 
and there's a time and place to talk about climate change and the G20 summit, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but I don't think our military should be leading out in front of it. I also think it's just a shocking display of the lack of respect that foreign leaders have for Joe Biden. Look, Putin didn't even show up. Yeah. Neither did Xi. Neither did the Japanese premier. Neither did the Mexican premier. Our allies and our adversaries don't even bother to show up when the commander in chief uh, rolls overseas. That, that is just unheard of. Do you think that's in part then, due to the fact that those leaders recognize the seriousness of geopolitical events versus this climate discussion, which, as you said, there's a time and place for it, Cash, but maybe we need to pay attention to, to the hotspots and adversarial relationships we have around the world first? Well, yeah. I mean, case in point, right? China's flying around on a hypersonic glide vehicle, right? Without getting into the specifics of those programs, the Biden administration said they missed it. Yeah, they missed it because they were looking for the sun to rise in the West or something like that. I yeah. mean, it's it's absurd that we are getting <laughs> outflanked by China and Russia in space and underwater, which people thought when we were doing it in Trump and he created the Space Force and things like that, people were like making fun of him for Star Trek. It's actually from a national security perspective, two of the most important environments we have to operate in. And we're getting our butts kicked because we don't have a prioritization in the national security arena that focuses on those things. So you're talking about very serious stuff, the, G, the G26, whatever it was, very serious. But the photo that came out of that, mm -hmm. our president was to the left and two steps out. Trump would have never allowed that to happen. I mean, there's a famous video of him pushing that leader out of the way so he could be number one in the center. And that's what I like in our, in our, in our leader. But what does that signal to like a G or a Putin that, I mean, they, they literally pushed him out and said, we don't want you with our group. Well, it speaks volumes. And look, they're supposed to be on a phone call right now, Xi and Biden. I'm sure that's going to go swimmingly. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's for the first time in modern U.S. history, Russia and China and Afghanistan are dictating how to uh, treat America. And that relates to your question. That's the difference. America first was President Trump's policy, domestic and foreign. And I agreed with that. I don't say, I'm not saying we don't help the rest of the world. We do. And we should. It's our duty and our obligation. But there's nothing wrong with safeguarding Americans. There's nothing wrong with evacuating out of Afghanistan or doing a conditions-based withdrawal as we did under President Trump and saying every American citizen must come home first unharmed before we do anything else. That was a key component of our plan. Joe Biden said, Jen Psaki to the podium, and she said, well, we texted everyone in country and they didn't get back to us. So we left a thousand people there. It is ludicrous for the press secretary of the president of the United States to say they were texting people in a theater of war and then blame them for not being able to traverse that theater of war to Kabul, which was surrounded by Al Qaeda. Um, I, it's just shocking that that is an acceptable form of national security because the left-wing media helps them prop that kind of nonsense up. Sometimes it's, it's hard to not laugh when Joe Biden takes the podium or addresses a microphone or a, a group of reporters. And we don't mean to make fun of him, but he's clearly lost a step or two. I, I mean, you can just see it over the course of, if you look at campaign videos, just a year ago, mm -hmm. he seemed to be sharper. But what do our adversaries think when they see things like that? They see things like Biden falling asleep at this climate summit and having to be kind of awoken by a staff member coming out, pretending to ask him what he wanted for lunch or whatever he did. Who knows? I mean, what, are the, what, is, what do our adversaries think of that? Well, let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm actually cheering for Joe Biden to succeed on the national security front because you can't want a commander in chief as an American to fail, Democrat or Republican. And I say that all the time and people are like, you can't be serious. I'm like, no, I'm serious. 
I want him to succeed in national security. There's very little, or there used to be very little division in terms of how we go about national security uh, measures that safeguard America. And the fact that Joe Biden is nodding off or can't put together a coherent sentence when addressing the world stage or the American public, and the fact that the mainstream media cover up for him, I think only hurts America twice as much as if it was just one of the things that was happening, and at least the media would cover it properly. Just put it this way. What if President Trump fell asleep in Europe? Yeah. Uh, we'd still be talking about it. Yeah. No, no, but it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's the hypocrisy it's that true. I think so many Americans are starting to catch on to. And the Russiagate hoax is a prime example of how the media got it completely wrong and are now only waking up to it. But that's what this administration is also doing. They're taking their cues on national security from the media. They want focus on climate change. They want $5 trillion worth of spending. Whatever spending they're going to do with it, that is, is absurd. But those are just a couple of examples. They wanted, here's, here's the thing. President Trump, a Republican, said we are going to end the forever wars, yeah. which was a plank hold of the Democratic Party for decades. And just because he successfully did it and I was able to run a piece of it, they said it was the wrong move. <laughs> I don't, it, it's just that's the politicization of national security that I can't stand. And, and it was just extremely frustrating after I retired from government service to, to watch how they've reacted or how they've carried on in such a poor fashion. Cash, here's a headline from just a day or two ago. I'm assuming you can read it, but if not, it says Ukraine yeah. says Russia has nearly 100,000 troops near its border. Uh, mm -hmm. we've, we've heard very little from the administration about this, certainly nothing directly from Biden, other than maybe uh, flippantly answering a question here and there. Uh, but it's a little concerning. And I, I guess I would ask, is, uh, is Joe Biden the Neville Chamberlain of our time? <laughs> I think you know your I, you know your history too well, probably better than me. Um, so I'll just try to label him in terms of action or lack thereof. I mean, you know, let's just juxtaposition this against Crimea and Trump, right? It was you know the Third World War was about to start. Now we have Putin, as you said, trying to put in a hundred thousand um, or uh, however many hundred thousand troops again into that region. And you're right, I haven't heard really that many newscasters or media personnel talking about this as a major national security issue, much like they failed to address the fact that Joe Biden allowed uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to yeah. be completed and basically elevated Russia's dominance of energy in Europe to one of our greatest supposed allies, Germany, which, by the way, we blocked. Rick Grinnell had a big part in it under the Trump administration. And Joe Biden reversed all the sanctions and allowed that pipeline to be completed. So energy prices for Americans are going through the roof. And Russians are getting rich. Energy prices for Europe and Germany mainly are going down. Well, let's take it a step further. I mean, we know that uh, when Biden took office, the United States had achieved energy independence under President Trump. So Biden works diligently to destroy that. It makes we it makes us rely not only on the Saudis, but we're relying on Russia to pump oil for us. So we've lost our leverage. If Russia decides to take action against Ukraine, we have very few economic levers at our disposable disposal to pull given the fact that energy prices are already going through the roof uh we're relying on russian oil so in retrospect how important was u.s energy independence for from a foreign uh relations standpoint if nothing else look for your audience just go to the gas pump you're paying four and five bucks a gallon for gas 
you don't have to be an economic genius or an oil expert or energy guy or whatever to figure this out. You're paying four and five bucks a gallon and that's here to stay. It's not going up because what, what most of the people in the world don't realize is America, not the Middle East, has the largest oil reserves in the world. We were energy independent because we were willing to tap into those resources, be it fracking, oil, LNG, what have you, right? You have to be able to you know, drill into the Anwar and things like that. And that's what President Trump was willing to take on. And also, by the way, build pipelines, the Keystone Pipeline. So many of these other pipelines that have been shut down that transport crude across our country from Canada into Mexico and the Gulf, shutting those down skyrockets prices, shutting down the processing and production of oil and refining it forces us to go overseas and buy from our adversaries. And they control the price. We don't anymore. We're not energy independent. And that's a result of it. And when you, you know, when you take a ski trip this winter or some of your road trips in the summer with the family and it costs you twice as much to get there, I think people are waking up to it. Well, I literally just canceled my Thanksgiving trip to Central California because it's going to be $1,000 in fuel. So my kids and I are going to stay here local in Southern California. It's just like, huh. Seven, they're, they're seven, it's going to be $7 a gallon here in California by Thanksgiving is what they're saying. Wow. So we're talking about all these problems. Yeah, it's insane. Um, I watched an interview with you. I, I see you all because we're news junkies, so I see you everywhere. You said that if he goes it's all in, fake news. you're going in. It's all fake news. Exactly. <laughs> it's all fake news. Um, but you said if he goes in and we know who he is, you're in. 2016 was crazy. 2020 was yeah. crazier. Are you prepared for 2024? Because they're going to go ballistic if he's running again. Yeah. What I'm prepared for right now is to 2022. We're going to we're going to win the midterms because we have to, but we're going to win the midterms because we're running for something and not against an individual. And Virginia is the perfect example. We ran on issues, border security, COVID vaccine mandates, CRT, force feeding our children's education in public schools. Those are things that we ran on. And so I think the 2022 message is going to be the 2024 message. The reason why I think 2024 might be a little different is because America's is going to have two years of Joe Biden. We haven't even finished one. And we're already flipping state legislatures. Two, when we flip the House and the Senate, right, I think that's going to have momentum to help shift the middle of America to be like, okay, I think we got it wrong with Joe Biden. Look how bad it is for our family. So that's why I think it might be a little different. I might be wrong. Look, three years is a long time to go and a long way to go. Yeah. And I don't know if President oh, Trump's going to run, but um, I, I, I think he will. And, uh, you know, if he does and he asks me to come back, uh, you know, giddy up. Let's go. Giddy up. Let's go. I love it. So I, I'm a huge Trump fan. Been a Trump fan since his apprenticeship day. I mean, I, I followed Trump for a long time, actually. And I voted for him in 16 because I want the bull in the China shop. I wanted to, I, I wanted to destroy the ivory tower. And he did a great job, far better than I could have ever imagined. <laughs> but his decision-making on some of the staffing really worries me this go around. Now that he has his break to look back, hindsight being 2020, is he learning his lesson that, you know, generals, just because they have a bunch of stuff on their chest doesn't mean they're patriotic and pro-America. Is, is, if he gets in and you go in with him, is it going to be different in the staffing picking? Is he not going to be fooled by the rhinos this go around? Yes, 100%. And look, without getting into conversations I've had with the president, uh, you can't blame the guy for coming in from a non-political background to say, hey, maybe I can trust some of government. You know, they've been here a long time. It's not Trump org. I can't just bring in, I don't have the capacity to bring in 4,000 new people. Um, so they trusted people that most other governments 
most of the administrations have trusted and relied on. Like me, when I was in the Obama administration, they trusted me to carry out the national security mission. What happened was Trump just blew up the landscape so bad, uh, so much. Right. The media got the media lost it. The media forced the American people to lose it, and the international community to lose, it, or at least half of them. And so we had look. I worked at senior levels of the White House and over at DOD and DNI, and we've talked about it. And yes, personnel is policy. And the bench exists. I've worked with them. I worked with them in the last administration under Trump. The bench exists to run across the board and not just replace the principals, but the deputies, the undersecretaries, the assistant secretaries, and the yes. chiefs of staff. Those people do exist. And I think they know now that next time that you have to put them in from day one. And so I'm less worried. I'm actually not worried about that at all if Trump were to win in 2024. I think that is a, a lesson that everyone um, has learned without singling him out. You, I think you just said personnel is policy. Is that the phrase you used? Is that am I yeah, quoting I that correctly? <laughs> well, I like it, and it but it also uh, makes me fear a little bit more because when you look at the radicals that the Biden administration has been putting yeah. into key positions, I mean, I don't know that many of them go through without some kind of controversy. They're radicals, they're controversial, and they're the ones that are steering policy. Uh, how much, I mean, Biden is the president. He's the one uh, who was elected. But are, are these his fingerprints? Are these his tentacles on this stuff? Is there something else going on behind the scenes, do you think? Well, I mean, you know, I, I've always said I think Susan Rice has an outsized role in the middle of the White House. That's why she didn't get put up for a Senate-confirmed position, because she was never getting confirmed. Um, you know, I think she's still connected to the, the Obama administration and the Obamas. And I think there's there's always that sort of in, intrapalace intrigue, as they say, when you're in the White House that existed under Trump and every president before him. And what they're doing is they're putting their people, you know, forward. Now, they're doing what we didn't do across the board. Now, whether or not they get through is a different story. Also, why we need to win the midterms, because we can conduct constitutional oversight investigations that aren't run by um, circus animals like Adam Schiff, but <laughs> great Americans like Devin Nunes and Jim Jordan. So it's important. People forget that we can't control the investigations until we control the powers of Congress. And so I think that's a way to slow down some of those, these people coming in. But, you know, at the end of the day, he was elected. He gets to put in the people that he wants to put in. I want to change the subject to Afghanistan just a minute because we touched on it a little bit, but that seems to be a monumental failure of not just the Biden administration as uh, specifically, but also the DOD, the intelligence community. How would you sum that up and why hasn't anybody been fired for it? Well, I guess this, this administration doesn't want to hold anyone accountable except Trump. It's Trump's fault or it's COVID's fault. One or the other. It's nothing else. Um, look, I wrote an op-ed in the New York Post explaining our conditions-based withdrawal that I led under President Trump. And it was outlined in the following fashion. One, never give up Bagram. Bagram is your command and control center. It's your brain of Afghanistan for that theater of war. Our allies are based there, we're based there, our drone program's based there. Oh, and by the way, 7,000 uh, alleged terrorists were detained there. Never give up those runways, never give up that acreage. Um, two, force the elimination of Al-Qaeda and ISIS, which we did. Three. And this was somewhat controversial to people in the media now, get the Afghans and the Taliban together and force them to diplomatically agree to an interim democratic government. Um, why? Because it's Afghanistan. Who's, who's gonna run Afghanistan? The people of the island of Fiji? Like <laughs> it's, it's shocking to me when people say, you want us out, 
you didn't want the forever wars and now we're winding it down after 20 years in a smart systematic fashion and you're saying you want the, you don't want the people of that country to get together it's ridiculous and the other thing we were going to do is always leave a small special forces contingent in country because even though the job we did defeating al qaeda and isis uh was near perfect there's always some left they have patience so we knew we would have to leave that footprint in country to take that on and that was our conditions based plan that's not even to mention the weapons and the people the weapons would come out last all of our machinery and equipment the first thing and i should have said this first was american citizens come home they all come home we have an accounting for all of them and all of them come home we don't leave a thousand of them in country like this administration does and has lied about how many people are in country. And you asked why this administration has failed. They failed because they we gave them that plan and I said, look, call it the Biden plan. I don't care, call it the Harris plan. Right. Call it the democratic plan to save Afghanistan. Who cares? Take what's working, use the ground level intelligence as it comes in on a continued basis to structure your plan. They wouldn't even meet or speak with me, um, even though I led the DOD transition uh, by regulation. And so they said, wow. and this is a perfect example, what did Trump do? Trump did X, we're going to do Y. That's the ultimate politicization of the national security apparatus. And it was something that was so offensive, so much so that it led to the ultimate tragedy. 13 U.S. service members were killed because an ISIS bomber blew them up. Do you know where that ISIS bomber came from? The detention center in Bagram that Joe Biden gave the keys over to the Taliban and he was let out. We, under our time and our base, conditions-based withdrawal, and I'm proud of this, zero service member casualties during our withdrawal. And it's the starkest contrast I can paint to people for, for, for people, and I hate to use human wreckage to describe it because there is nothing worse that I have ever had to endure than a dignified transfer at Dover Air Force Base and returning the remains of a service member to their families. I know we only have you for about 90 seconds more. I want a quick... Uh, just to ask you a question quickly about China. China has not been held accountable for COVID. China, as you said, is is successfully testing hypersonic missile delivery systems. Uh, they just uh, were, it was just announced that they've exceeded the United States in total wealth. Uh, their economy mm -hmm. is quickly catching up to ours and may surpass ours. Why? I mean, Trump had took some action there. Biden seems to have retreated there. Why is nothing being done to address this serious global adversary? Well, I'll just, I think it's the same continuization of the pol politicization of national security apparatus. What did Trump do? Tariff the heck out of China. Um, what did he do? Regulate our borders and against Chinese fentanyl. What did he do? Call out the Uyghurs for genocide in China uh, and their modern day concentration camps and call out Xi when he acted improperly on the world stage. Flexed in the South China Sea by with our military might as we should instead of being targets by China. So that's just uh, we could talk about China all day long, but um, I think that's just another thing. They said the adults are finally here, so we're going to win China over with diplomacy. We're going to win Iran over with diplomacy in the JCPOA. But yeah, and we don't have anyway. We don't have time to talk about Iran, and we should. But hopefully, we'll get a chance to have you back. I want to ask you though, before we let you go, tell us about FightWithCash.com. What's this all about? Thanks, I really appreciate that. Look, after uh, after the whole RussiaGate stuff, and I can come back and talk to you about this. I led the RussiaGate investigation for Chairman Nunes, and we find and we proved with the DOJ and FBI's own documents and the DNC's corrupt activities what a political scam scandal that was. And now John Durham has proven that to be a uh, organized criminal enterprise. But what happened during as a result of that was I was attacked mercilessly by the media and defamed. I'm suing CNN, Politico, New York Times for 150 million dollars. And those lawsuits are ongoing for defamation. 
And what I learned is that everyday Americans have been defamed and deplatformed. And I've been traveling the country raising money at fightwithcash.com. Uh, so we can go cut checks for Americans who have been defamed and deplatformed. So check out the website. We have all of our contents up for free. My show, Cash's Corner, is there once a week, show on national security, defense, and intel. But more importantly, you can email us directly with your case, and we will review it for free. We have a team of lawyers standing by that review these defamation cases, and we're going to continue to raise money so we can cut checks for your lawyers so you can have your day in court. And oh, by the way, it's also, you know, full disclosure, since Adam Schiff issued his vendetta subpoena against me for January 6th, uh, my lawyer fees are astronomical, and I'm, ha I'm asking Americans to, to donate at fightwithcash.com, and a little some of that will go to me too, and, and I greatly appreciate you guys letting me talk about that important initiative. Well, a whole nother topic we could be that talking is, about. If you don't mind me asking you just one follow-up question about defamation. Yeah. Have you seen any of this Rittenhouse case, and do you think he has a case for defamation against uh, some of these media outlets who've called him a white supremacist and worse? Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, you can call someone a name like that. Um, you know, look, they called me a genocidal dictator. Uh, the media did as a result of my involvement in the Russiagate investigation or ex exposure of it. Um, and I don't think that they, uh, you know, they can do that. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of the First Amendment. I don't agree with some of that crazy hate speech. Um, but, uh, intent, uh, you know, I'm, and I'm not a defamation expert, but look, if, if Kyle Ritten and, and fight with cash is for everybody, Democrats, independents, Republicans. And if Kyle Rittenhouse wants to <laughs> reach out to us, we'll look at his case for him. That's the whole point. We have to have you have to have a court adjudicate that decision and not uh, not the media. They have to be given a silver bullet to their bottom line. And the only one is their monetary bottom line that they care about. That's true. Cash Patel, thanks so much for being with us uh, tonight, Cash. Terrific to have you on. And thank you for all the great work you're doing as well. No, I appreciate it. And we got holiday merch. It's all available online this week. It all goes to the cause. It's pretty cool. Oh, nice. All, all at the same website? Can't fight with cash? Yeah, it'll be all, all the merch will be up later this week. Awesome. Terrific. Thanks again. Best, best to you. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. All right, so uh, that was a terrific wow. that was a terrific discussion. And uh, wow. again, the website is fightwithcash.com. Uh, I, I was checking it out during the discussion here, and it is a great website, and the cause is even better. So uh, please take a moment and go to Fight With Cash. Yes. Cash is with a K, fightwithcash.com. Great stuff. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I, I, wanted, I wanted to know roughly, to get subpoenaed into, into the January 6th committee, I wonder what that costs. I mean, you got to hire lawyers. To cover oh, I know. Is that like a sixty thousand dollar retainer, or is that a hundred and sixty thousand dollar retainer? Right, right. Well, hopefully, hopefully, we'll get a chance to get cash back here because there, we we just touched the surface on first of all his knowledge, his experience, and our uh, ability to ask questions. So there's so much more to talk about, and it is all so very consequential. So hopefully, we'll have a time that we can bring him back and get into some more details on some of this stuff. So. All right, so the big question here is, as we come back to you, is uh, I just want to put that up for a second there, okay? So that's the website, fightwithcash.com. The work he's doing is tremendous. He's he's a ardent First Amendment supporter. We're seeing the First Amendment be attacked all over the place, and his work is terrific. Plus, he's awfully, awfully articulate, Britt. I mean, he's just really, really articulate. But more importantly, when did you add six nations to the G20 to make it the G26? And what six nations well, did you add? Um, what six nations well, did you I, add? I added I I added the stand of Brit. Oh, and then I okay. uh, added Griffithville. Griffithville's a and nation. Then the, <laughs> the island of Griff. Oh, okay, um, that's three. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I was trying to go for COP26 and G26. Can't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I was, you know. Yeah, well, I was talking to Cash Patel. Leave me alone. I know. I know. It was a little yeah. exciting for me. I know you're the pro and the old hat at this, and you've been doing this since high school. Talking to people at this level is new to me. It's exciting. Well, it's scary at the same time. The thing that made it so remarkable is that we were actually talking to somebody who was uh, instrumental in some of these policy decisions and, and oh my God. these policy uh, enactments, you know, enacting these policies. And one of the things that struck me, I mean, this is really important, and, and it's, there's two parts to this. When he was talking about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which we know Biden bungled, completely bungled, Cash said they the Trump plan was a conditions-based plan. He went through the four conditions in the plan. It was working. It was moving forward without anybody getting hurt, without $85 billion of American military hardware being handed over to the Taliban, without uh, Americans being stranded, without 13 service members being uh, killed in a bomb explosion. It was moving forward, and it was working. Biden comes in, and instead of picking up where they left off with a plan that was working, they put their hand in the face of Cash Patel and said, no, we don't want to talk to you. Don't even bother. If, if Trump did it, we're against it, and we're going to do something else. And that seems to be the overriding process by which the Biden administration is making all their decisions, whether it's the border, whether it's energy independence, whether it's economic policy, whether it's foreign relations, whether it's Afghanistan. If Trump did it, we're against it. And we're going to do the opposite. And we've seen the disastrous results of all of that. And what not. What not? I was told to say that in chat. That wanted me to say it. <laughs> a rebuttal with a what not. <laughs> yep, pretty That's much. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, um, there were so many things that he talked about that uh, some things made me feel more comfortable. Thumps, and some things really irritated me. Uh, the one thing that really irritated me was what you just said, the hand to the face that we don't want to talk to you. I mean, to not to not even talk. I mean, we're supposed to transition power and peacefully. and But we are the Trump people. I consider myself a Trump person. I don't know what you consider yourself, but I consider myself a Trump person. We just need to shut up and go to the corner. We, they accuse us of being the ones who are stirring up all this shit and not playing fair and being a pain in the ass. and um, bringing the country down when the reality is it's them doing all this crazy stupid stuff also we also now have i mean we have a night and day difference between trump and not trump because joe biden's administration did everything opposite trump so now we know anything opposite of trump yeah turns to shit yeah and everything that trump was doing so i mean he wasn't perfect but damn it was a lot better than where we're at now yeah and the one thing that really makes me happy was the whole line of questioning about the staffing going into 2024 the fact that Cash Patel was so matter-of-fact, not even worried about it, makes me feel better because he's there in the shit. You know, he was part of the process. He's yeah. seeing it. He's up close. The fact that they have the bench and that, and that everybody in that orbit seemed to, have seemed to have learned their lesson in leaving leftovers in. So that makes me feel a lot better. It really does because that was one of my major hang-ups on voting for him again is is he gonna? Is he gonna just bring in the Paul Ryan's again type thing? You know. Well, let's say. I you mean, know, he, the, the way I look at that is, I, I, I was encouraged by what Cash said. He said, "100 percent, not going to be a problem." But you have to also look at the fact that Trump 
in four years, even with those headwinds, with people that were yeah. sabotaging him within his own administration and within with career politician or career bureaucrats within the federal government sabotaging him, he still was able to do many things that uh, were very, very beneficial to the American people and the nation as a whole. Yeah. So even with that, he was able to do that. So that's that even tells you how how much more impressive he is. Janice in our chat room had asked earlier if um, any if anybody is concerned with having an, a, a second term of Donald Trump. And that's a fair question. You know, there was a lot of chaos that yeah. came with the Trump presidency. And in and, and a lot of it was manufactured. We know that the whole Russian collusion thing was a hoax. We know that half of the things that they the media got all worked up about and screamed half? and you're being kind. I am being very kind. You're right. Yeah, more like more like 98% of the things, maybe even more. You know, things like uh Trump paying bounty or or not doing anything about Russia paying bounties to Taliban fighters to kill Americans. Yeah, I mean all that stuff. It was all made up garbage by the mainstream media. Anything to hurt Trump. And uh, that was the chaos. So if if we're angry about anything, it should be that the Democrats and the mainstream media created this chaos. Trump is not an eloquent spokesman. Trump is brash. He's egotistical. He's a braggart. A He's a New Yorker. Exactly. That's exactly how He's New a, Yorkers and worse, are. And worse, he's from Queens. Yeah. So he's a Queens, New Yorker, which are the biggest braggarts. Those things can make people cringe. They made me cringe. Every time those, you know, the, I'd see a tweet, I'm like, oh, God, why do you do that to yourself? Because you're just making it harder for you. Not me. But you know what? I but you know what? The bottom line is the bottom line is the policies were good for the country, they were good for me personally. They were about freedom, they were about prosperity, and they were effective. They were effective. So I'll take all that shit all day long if we're going to get the policies that we got before. And, and probably more. Because he did dismantle a lot of the machine, this, this, this forever machine that is the federal government. That only chugs in one yeah. direction. He did. I mean, you can only do so much in four years and you can only do so much in four years when you've got half of your staff working against you. But he was still able to get a lot yeah. of that done. So he put him back and in there with the right people. And I'm really, really excited to see what he can do the second time around. I hope so. I hope he goes in, fires them all, fire every single one of them. The FBI needs to go. Just, just, just disband the FBI, the entire top brass. Hell, I would start at the sergeants and up. All gone. Fire, terminate, retire, whatever. Goodbye. Everybody below that, just disperse, just disperse them back into the law enforcement agencies that we have. Secret Service, put it, put it back into the Treasury. Uh, you know, we don't need this big old DOJ thing going on. Um, there are so many things that the, the Department of Education needs to go. Just just delete it. Just just Everything gets blocked, granted, back to the states. Let, let each individual state handle their shit. And then we can all move to where we want to move to with our kids to get them the appropriate education. And then the states that are going to kick it back to the parents and the money follows the kids, that's where we move to. And those kids will be really smart. And the states that don't do that, like California, your kids will be really stupid. And then in the future, when you die and they grow up, they're going to live under a bridge while the kids in Texas or Florida or insert state that, you know, uh, allow the kids to take the money to get good education. They're going to be the ones that will be the bosses of your kids. And then your kids will go, gee, why didn't my mommy and daddy get me a better education? That'll be on you. I hope you roll around in your grave on it. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm just ranting now. I just, I, I, I'm so frustrated. I just watched a video while uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, 
that's really got me angry right now. Um, three cops wrestling a dad to the ground in a in a hospital room and dragging him out in front of his wife that's in the bed and their kid. The hospital said one you got one guest and the kid didn't. So I, I am so over this whole COVID government power authoritarian reach that's going on. That we need we need to have a really serious conversation tomorrow night because I'm grabbing this video before it gets deleted because it will. And we're going to talk about it because I'm done. I am done with the leftist Marxist cops that are still on the beat. All the good ones are leaving in the big cities and we're left with just brown shirts. I'm just following orders. Yep, get in the boxcar because that's what just happened. And Cash Patel kind of alluded to it. If we don't straighten this stuff around, it's going to get scary. Same, so did Reverend Rick. He's looking at the future going, geez, if we don't right this ship, we don't turn around. We're going down a very scary road. I mean, I now absolutely understand how Hitler did what Hitler did. I, I get it. I understand what Chavez did. I understand what uh, 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 oh shit, the leader of Cuba. Um, Castro. Thank you. Look, I, I get how they did it. We're watching it in front of us. You know, it's interesting. I was watching Tim Pool right before the show started and whatnot because he had Alex Jones. Joe, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Alex Jones, Joe Rogan, and Michael Malice. Uh, and Tim Pool, uh, all in the same room. It was insane. But Joe Rogan made a great point because Alex Jones was saying he doesn't understand how people can't see it. And Joe Rogan made this amazing point. We, like you and I, JV, and our audience that watch, they're one level down of informed because they're getting it from us. But we are so informed because we read and watch so much news that we're blind to the fact that there are people that just don't know. They legitimately don't understand what's going on, and there's a lot of them. They are situationally dumb to where our country's at and where it's going. And we're frustrated. I'm frustrated because I can't wake them up. And you can't wake them up until they can. It's like, what's that saying? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink? This is the same thing. And sadly, these people are voting for people that are authoritarian Marxists. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't know, man. I, I am really, really frustrated right now. Okay. Um, I want to go back to the Cash Patel thing because uh, that's where I, I wanted to get a couple points out before we stopped talking about that. One of the things that he pointed out in, in, in his remarks in this interview was he was talking about, was it, I think it was called campaign plans or cam plans, he said. And he said it's something that the Department of Defense does on a regular basis to update, you know, the theaters that they need to pay attention on and keep track of, you know, what they have to focus on. And he pointed out that the first CAM plan from the Biden Department of Defense came, I don't remember what he said, June maybe, and it was about climate change. So he said while China is testing hypersonic missiles and while Russia's got 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border, our Department of Defense, to quote Cash Patel, is is uh, positioning against the weather. Yeah, like we're going to win against the weather. Well, there's no fight against the weather. That's that's it's imbecilic. It's 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 stupid to even suggest that's a legitimate premise. But what is that all about? It's all about control. It has nothing to do with the weather. It has nothing to do with COVID or the virus. All about control and the Marxist authoritarian march. And, and you know, they thought they were going to ride climate change all the way to their to their golden pony of authoritarianism. Golden pony. And COVID popped up. So they jumped these, the golden pony. So they switched ponies to the COVID pony. 
Um, <laughs> and now they're writing that one, but now, but they're still going to push climate change because eventually the virus will go away. They know that. And I, I there was they're another thing that he pointed change. out that I that is so shocking, and I never really considered it until he said it the way he said it in this discussion. He said basically the Biden plan for the Afghanistan withdrawal to protect Americans was to send a text out. <laughs> was to send a text. Oh my out. God! I, I was, what if they? What if they have T-Mobile? T-Mobile <laughs> sucks on its coverage. That was the Biden effort to rescue Americans in Afghanistan before the Taliban took over. Text them all and tell them that they need to get out. What a joke. This administration is such a joke. The problem is it's not funny. It's it's destructive no. and it's it's uh um dangerous. It's destructive and dangerous. And you know, you and got the guy, by chance. anytime he speaks, his eyes look cross-eyed because he look like he can barely, barely maintain his consciousness. And here he is. And, these, and, and it's, I mean, obviously more and more people are catching on to this. But that anybody would support what's going on right now is, it's, it's baffling. It's baffling. 30-something percent. I think we're headed in the right direction. Joe Biden's doing a great job. 30-something percent. Boy, they've been they've been uh, sold a bill of goods. I mean, they're obviously not seeing the truth. They're obviously only believing no. what Joy Reid no. tells them and and uh, what's her name, Nicole Wallace. I, I, we I, we talked about doing this earlier. We have to create our uh, mainstream media's imbecile Hall of Fame and put. I mean, Joy Reid's going to be at the top of the list. Maybe maybe Nicole oh, God, yeah. Wallace will be right up there too. Uh, certainly, Don Lamont, Mr. Brian Stelter needs to be there. Uh, there is a bunch of them. Yeah. We could we could have a weekly inauguration into the uh, mainstream media imbecile Hall of Fame because there are so many of them. They're so stupid. They are so dangerous and destructive. Yeah, well, uh, I'm praying. I'm praying with the CNN merger that they all get dumped and they go back to classic news like the the new, the new parent company saying they want to get back to. Um, apparently, there's a request for uh, the goat lover sound and sleep with goats. That one? There you go, Brian. Hope <laughs> and sleep yeah, with goats. I don't know, it just says goat lover. He says goatlover.com. Goat I don't dare. I don't dare put that in the in my search. <laughs> Although there's enough weird stuff in my search engine, I mean, well, I'm on know, a list of some you know, sort. I, I, I kind of stay quiet, but like every day when you're telling me how your computer's hung, hang up, you got to reboot it, you got to do that. I'm like, what the hell are you <laughs> yeah. doing on that computer, yeah. Brett? What the hell are you doing oh on my that God. computer? It, my computers I'm don't looking, have those problems, but I don't go to these weird sites and do that weird stuff. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, when we were doing the the the, the, the drunk show, I was looking for yeah, of weird. Course. Amazon gifts, and I ended up with like lizard vests and leashes for chickens, and you know, so yeah, I'm on, I'm on a weird list. Um, yeah, should we? Yeah, okay, that's a good excuse. I'll go with that for, for just to keep strange dot coms another good yeah. one. Yeah. So, should we tell people what we're gonna do? Uh, I think on Black Friday, yeah, I think we should. Okay, yeah, we should start promoting it. Yeah, so we are gonna do a live when is Black Friday, Friday after Thanksgiving. I mean, is it, is it next Friday or the following Friday? It's next Friday. It's a week from Friday. Is it next Friday? Okay. Okay. It's the big, big shopping day. So what we are going to do is we're going to do a live stream. We're going to start it earlier in the day. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what work. We haven't yeah. figured this out. But sometime when we get up. around noon, one, two, whatever it is, uh, Eastern. And uh, we are going to, we, Britt and I have done a lot of research on fun and interesting and some very serious products that would be great gifts for people 
who are conservative minded, maybe Trump uh, supporters or maybe just Biden. Uh, what what's the word? I don't want to say haters because not not necessarily hate, but uh, people who don't who do not support Biden. Uh, we found some great great products, some really funny stuff, and like a lot of the books that uh, we've talked about that uh, we've had guests on talking about. And we're gonna do like a QVC thing. And the only difference is we're not UBC. selling this stuff, but we're going to provide. We're going to talk about the stuff. We're going to provide links, and we're going to ask you guys if you found some things that you think are cool or that would be great uh, uh, gifts or whatever that you'll make those suggestions to us. Yeah, you know what? Uh, a viewer mail, a view, viewer mail, right? Viewer mail at uh, independencegang.com. Viewer yes. mail. Viewer mail. Independencegang.com. There's no the. It's just independencegang.com. Viewer mail. Um, send us your suggestions. Anything political, anything that's you know in our world, and uh, so you know we'll we'll look some of them up and you know get links and then uh, yeah if they're funny and I mean funny gross whatever I just I mean I don't even care if they're inappropriate but um, yeah send us to viewer mail there it is right there on the screen uh, send us your uh, any uh, ideas that you have for something that we could put on our our right of center QVC gift Style, shopping ideas yeah. it's going to be the independence gang shopping afternoon on black friday we're going to have a whole bunch of fun stuff to yeah. show and talk about and that'll be fun right that'll be fun i think so yeah i don't we'll know put yeah, the links so. up. people in chat what do you guys think let us know and I if you're watching this over the weekend let us know in chat what you think because we do pop in and out of uh chat over the weekend uh on the weekend replays um, and also, I just want to apologize to the foxhole watchers. The foxhole's glitching out. There's some issues there, so that's why our show's in and out for whatever reason. Um, yeah, it's a but drag. the whole site went down for a while and then came back up, etc. So we apologize for that. You know what I forgot to do? I forgot to show co uh, the cover of uh, Reverend Rick Cole's book, Incarnate: Jesus yeah, Among the Broken. I forgot to show he went that. And slept on the street. Yeah, he went from his comforts to two weeks on the street. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. crazy. It is kind of crazy. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight, I think. We've we've had a really full evening. Two guests, one of them being Cash Patel and uh, some post and some pre-conversation. So I think we've I think we've uh, checked all the yeah, boxes. And I got one tonight. rant out. And you got a rant out. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, I think we're good. I, need, I think I need to go get some tequila. Te oh, gonna, my headache did finally go away. You're going to go get some tequila? No. God, no. Hey, did you what? Uh, did you? Um, just run them in my mouth. Actually, I'll talk to you after. I'll talk to you after the show before I ask that question. What? <laughs> what? No, I'll, I'll, now everybody's. What, what, what's what's going to ask? I'm going to ask you after, off air. I, I forgot we were live. Did you get that gerbil out of your ass? Uh, that's not what I was going to ask. But since you brought it up, did you get it out of your ass? <laughs> That's bad. We should. You know what? We talk That's about the, the Richard Gear joke. We talk about the fact that we have uh, people that are hesitant to come on the program as guests, and we yeah, aren't going to talk like this anymore. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're trying. We're trying. Yeah. One slipped out. Oops! It's like that little toot in church slips out. Oh, wasn't me. Yeah, lost mom. You, you missed the cash interview, and we apologize. Uh, Fox Wolves have some trouble. Um, it, it will play over the weekend. Uh, I think what we're going to do, Britt, I think it might be a good idea that we replay this show onto Foxhole when we when we stop broadcasting yeah, I think here we to let it so it's up there. Why don't I we think, do that? Yeah, and let it run overnight. Um, yeah, let it run overnight. The other thing I could do is I could put a link to the Rumble in, in Foxhole. 
But as I feel like I'm cheating when I do that. Yeah, no, let's just let's just run no. the program. We'll just run it after this. So, uh so let's call it a night now. Yeah. Remember tomorrow night we've got uh who do we have tomorrow night? I don't even You know, did I say oh, it was Wednesday? I think I introduced this program saying it was Wednesday night, but it's not. It's Tuesday. Oh man. Yeah. No wonder Reverend Rick Cole yeah, is looking at me have... sideways. It's like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? Yeah, probably he's like, well, these guys are drunk. Oh my god, um, I can't believe it. We have uh, we have uh, five times August Brad, who has a who is his latest song, "Evil Little Man" with Fauci, is up to like number four or something like that. Wow! In the singer songwriter category and cool. uh, broke the top the top uh, one hundred and fifty. So he's on tomorrow. We'll play that song also, and then uh, we also have Drew Allen from the Drew Allen Show is joining us tomorrow. Oh, nice! Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Uh, he was a great yeah, guest when we had him on and interviewed him. Uh, so Foxhole, folks, if uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to replay this show in its entirety uh, right after we sign off here on Foxhole, so you'll get a chance to watch it. And if nothing else, at least it'll be there at archive, so you can go back and watch it when it's convenient for you. So you'll you'll have that yeah. opportunity. And I'm so. not even, and I'm not even going to change the uh, the description in there, so it'll just land on the same. We'll just page. write overwrite it because that was incomplete anyway. So yeah. anyway, have a great night. Tomorrow night is Wednesday night, and we'll see you at ten o'clock Eastern for the Independence Gang. Have a great night. 